This is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part seven in the series, The True and False Self, Filled with All the Fullness of God. If there is a true and false self, then the false self is a lie. But where does the lie come from? Where does any lie come from? She picks up a call from her doctor. The test results determined that you were pregnant. Her stomach begins to feel like it's caving in as she's being encompassed in fear. She's shocked. It's 1994, she's halfway through the second semester of her junior year in high school and she feels lost. How am I gonna do this? I don't have a job, I'm in high school, am I now just another statistic? Her parents have recently divorced and she's afraid to add fuel to the fire between them. So she waits for a few days to go by and then she walks up to her mother's room. Mommy, I have something to tell you. And as she closes the door and before she even finishes closing the door, her mother says, you're pregnant. Yeah. And she replies, well, we're gonna do what we gotta do. Shortly after she called her father and he too said the same thing. They took it better than she thought that they would. And the rest of her family also wrapped around her and said, you have nothing to worry about. This baby is our baby too. And even more than that, this is God's baby. However, as weeks went on, members of her church community had a very different take on the matter. They attempted to shame her parents. How dare you? How could you allow your daughter to get pregnant? They attempted to cast a false identity on her. She's despicable before God. And they attempted to condemn her baby. And that baby is a mistake. This young woman felt like she was caught in the middle of two different narratives, two different perspectives, two different voices, that of truth and that which are lies. In one ear, she was being told that the child in her womb was a mistake. But in the other ear, she was being told that this child was a gift. This was a war between truth and lies, which is a very ancient battle. My brothers and sisters of Vancouver, I bring greetings from across the river. (laughs) And ultimately, she chose to believe in the truth, that this baby was intentionally knitted together in her womb and that God doesn't make mistakes. And in January of 1995, she gave birth to me. And she hasn't looked back ever since. I thank God for my mother. My mother was in the midst of a fight between truth and lies, but what if I said that you too are involved in that same war? Can you think of a time when you've heard or spoken a lie? Can you think of a time when you said, I am dying to know the truth? This battle is the setting of our text today, John chapter 8. So all that Josh is, I know that was a lot, okay? But this is a dialogue that is a continuation from John chapter 7, which is during the Feast of Booths, where the Jews are celebrating what God did for their ancestors in the wilderness. For 40 years, he's providing for them, and they're going, hallelujah, thank you, Yahweh. But every night of this festival, the priests would light candles in the temple courts, which pointed back to the Israelites following that pillar of fire in the night. It's with that in mind. I feel like Jesus is, he's pretty witty. It's with all of that history in mind that he says, I am the light of the world. Follow me and it'll lead to life. The Pharisees take issue. They're like, hold on, Jesus. First of all, you can't talk about yourself that way. According to the Torah, you need at least another person to verify what you just said. You need at least two people to testify 
to declare that what you say is true about yourself. And Jesus responded that his personal testimony is sufficient in and of itself. I don't need anybody else. What I say about me is true, but not only that, my father also testifies of this too. I feel like that's a pretty qualified witness, if I may say so myself. But throughout this conversation, they don't understand that he's talking about God the Father. Now remember, the Pharisees are the folks who are supposed to be leading the Jews in their relationship with with God. But Jesus goes, you actually don't relationally know him. What? What's going on here? What is Jesus trying to get at? Jesus is trying to help them see that he is unified with the Father. You don't relationally know the Father because you don't recognize his Son. He is different from them. He's trying to explain, I am from a different realm altogether. He is not of this world because the Father sent him to this world. And he's declaring that everything that he is saying is true, yet they question his testimony. And to distrust his testimony is not only to oppose Jesus, but is also to oppose the Father who also testifies of that testimony. Are you with me? Good evening. So he concludes with, it'll all make sense when you crucify me. That's when you'll know I am who I say that I am. And then John records that many believed in him at that point, but the conversation then intensifies. So let's go to verse 31. Look down. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. Real quick, let's break from the text. That's a diss to Jesus. They know his story. We're not illegitimate children like you, Jesus. Who's your daddy? Let's keep going. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Sheesh. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any one of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Wow. Talk about an intensification, right? 
How'd you go from, hey, I'm the light of the world, so your daddy's the devil? <laughs> and what's crazy about this is this is the same people who just believed in him that he's talking to. And he clarifies, in order to be my disciple, you must do what I teach. You cling to my teachings. And to cling to his teachings is to know the truth. And to know the truth is to experience freedom. But what does Jesus understand the truth as, though? How would you define truth? There's a bunch of the definitions of truth in our culture, right? But what is it? Is it a set of ideas and beliefs? Is it a philosophy or a collection of abstract concepts? Truth is that which is in agreement with reality, but even more, it's reality as God sees it. As followers of Jesus, we trust his way of seeing the world and live in a manner that, lays, that he lays out for us in his teachings. Furthermore, truth is a person. Earlier, Jesus just said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. Earlier, he said that the truth will set you free. Later on, he will say, I am the truth. I mean, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's me. I'm the essence of it. Jesus' point, though, is to be in allegiance with him, is to be in allegiance with that which is true. And as a result, you will experience freedom. But what do they need freedom from? What are you talking about, Jesus? They immediately think he's talking about a socio-political enslavement. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone, yet Jesus is talking about enslavement to sin. His desire is to see people transform from being enslaved by sin to becoming children of God the Father. He is the one who can rescue them out of that enslavement to sin and bring them into his family. This is his whole mission, y'all. So what does enslavement to sin lead to? Why is this a big deal? Because in the end, it only leads to sin. I mean, it only leads to death and destruction. That's the ultimate trajectory. Although they're holding on to family ties to Abraham, they aren't doing what their forefather did, which is trusted, trusting Yahweh even when it makes no sense. Rather, Jesus exposes their desire to kill him as in alignment with their spiritual father, the devil. In a nutshell, Jesus' sense of reality is that they were deceived into believing that they were aligned with the truth when they were actually afar from it. They were under the illusion of freedom when in fact they were enslaved to sin. But this is the result of a significant being whose title is known as the devil. It's not a name. It means, excuse me, accuser. And this accuser is a liar and a murderer. So let's digest a little bit and let's go in on him because I want to expose him. That sound like a plan? All right, we got, okay. 15 of y'all, that's cool. So here we have Jesus' most extensive teaching on this being in the scriptures. The devil has a spiritual lineage that he is the father of. He's a murderer whose goal is to see the death of God's human images. He is incompatible with truth because he is the originator of lies and deception. Lying is his specialty. It's his niche. Nobody does it better than him. Many times he will tell a partial element of truth in order to twist and pervert the whole thing. And that's what can make his lies so compelling. I'm telling you from experience. We'll get into that in a little bit is that they can be partially grounded in reality. And this is a partial truth. Anybody ever heard of those things? Okay, I'm not alone. Lies, deception, and partial truths are his weapons against humans. 
The devil weaves a web of deception and lies as his means to stir up our disoriented desires to cause enslavement to sin, which will lead ultimately to our death. That's his mission. He knows that he can't defeat God, so he goes for God's kids. I feel like the Apostle James has something to say about this in the opening of his letter. James 1, 13 and 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Key word. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Okay. Y'all like stories? Story time. I recall a story, maybe you know it too, about a husband and a wife who lived in a garden blooming with freedom, provision, peace. Their God gave them guidelines for wise living in this garden. However, a creature in that garden wanted to see their demise. So the creature approached the woman and deceived her with a partial truth into taking and eating of a forbidden fruit. And the man followed suit and also ate of that fruit. And after this deception, the humans choose to live according to their own sense of wisdom, and they were exiled from their home. And outside of this garden, they began to build a family and had two sons. The sons had a sacrificial ceremony to their God, but the older son's sacrifice was not received, and he was pretty pissed off about it. And then God approached him with concern and stated that this son had a choice to make with that anger. You can do good. The opportunity is in your hands. But there's a choice that you have to make. God warned him that sin was crouching like an animal, ready to consume and pounce on him. But this son could rule over it. But the son decided to murder his brother in the field. The story sound familiar to anybody? The downward spiral is the serpent's deception led to the woman, excuse me, <clears throat> led, excuse me, the serpent's deception of the woman led to sin, and then sin led to Cain murdering his brother, and this is the mission of the devil. It's a downward spiral which always leads to death, but it started with deception and a lie. And not too long after that, it ended in literal death. Y'all with me still? Yeah. All right, I ain't going to take too long, y'all. It's the snake in the garden. It's the animal-like sin thing, Mabob, that's crouching. It's the enemy. He's the father of lies whose desire is to steal what does not belong to him. And I'm sick and tired of seeing him snatch things that don't belong to him. In holding them hostage, he wants to lead humans to destruction. But Jesus is the truth who desires to freely give to all and lead us into life. While the devil is the lying accuser against us, Jesus is the truthful mediator for us. Jesus is the essence of and only speaks truth in which he causes human freedom from sin, which ultimately leads to life. That's his mission. Jesus is dead set on destroying the devil's kingdom, mission, and the devil himself. 1 John 3.8 has something to say about this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Y'all see that? The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus sees himself as a king at war. It's his kingdom versus that of this creature being thing. And he wants all the beef. I'm not going to say a phrase I was going to say. Anyway, (laughs) the Jews of his day anticipated a Messiah that would go to war with and be victorious over the Romans. But Jesus doesn't see his fight as against flesh and blood, but as against powers and principalities and demons. And this being called the devil, that's his aim. It's just that these spiritual beings can try to use humans and systems and all of these things in order to oppress and, and, and do harm to human beings. That's been the goal. And at times they have succeeded, like the Romans. You don't think the enemy has something to do with the work that the empire has done? Okay, another conversation for another day. Jesus doesn't see the folks that he's conversing with in our text as his true enemy. He sees the devil. He is the seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3.15 who has come to crush the serpent's head. I just found out, this is a real quick side tangent. I just found out your logo is a lamb with a snake behind it. This whole time I was like, oh, that's a dope circle. (laughs) And then I found out it's been a logo for like three years. And I'm like, I'm sorry, y'all. I I apologize, Josh. And then the lamb had a leg that was splitting the snake. Man, whatever. I just was like, that's dope. Anyways. But that's who he is. He's the snake crusher. And crushing the the serpent's head is not about bruising. Like, ooh, let me just give him a little headache. No, that's killing. It's a blow to the Like, you're done. I want to decapitate this snake. But it's also going to cost me. He's the one whose heel would be bruised. Again, conversation for another day. But he is the snake crusher. This war between truth and lies was present in the beginning, in the days of Jesus, and to this very day. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, we are at war. That's a little black church for you right there. They'd be like, neighbor? All right, anyways. (laughs) You could thank Christian Dawson for that one. I don't know if y'all know who he is, but... It would be ignorant of us to assume that this mission of the devil is not just as prevalent today as it was for the generations before us. This battle between truth and lies is not simply about ideas or convictions. It's about what ultimately leads to life and that which leads to death. And I don't mean that like hyperbolically. I don't mean that dramatically. I mean that literally. Jesus' way of life doesn't just lead to like eternal life in some spiritual sense. Like eternal life is also a physical reality. Could you imagine if our world would obey the teachings of Jesus? I feel like our lives would be a lot longer, right? On the flip side, we're seeing a lot of death and destruction these days. I feel like the enemy is on a mission today that he's been for generations before. Alongside Jesus, you and I are at war against this devil being. Because we are at war, we must be aware of his tactics and schemes, as the Apostle Paul would say. And Jesus, the apostles in the scriptures make make it clear that one of, if not the main tactic of the devil is to lie, to influence, and capture our thought patterns. We must be aware of what we listen to and consume because those things begin to marinate in our minds and they form us as a people. What we consume forms us. 
You are what you eat, right? And I mean that spiritually. Not only can the devil speak lies into our thoughts, but so can we. You know, some of these lies may be familiar with. You are a disappointment to God. Anybody ever heard that one? If you suppress the pain, it'll go away. You need to perform in order to be valued. You are alone in this world. One more visit to that webpage won't hurt you. If you expose your sin, they won't love you. I've heard these lies. The devil's desire is to get these lies into constant rotation in our minds so that the seeds of these lies may become planted in our hearts. The problem is not merely that lies are spoken, it's that many times we trust and believe them, which turns into an embodiment of these lies. You know what? I am a disappointment to God, which, turns into, which can turn into attempts to avoid him. I know the feeling. You know what? I am alone in this world, which can turn into isolation from community. Because of my sin, I am unlovable, which can turn into hiding. I need to ignore the pain, ignore the hurt, ignore the bad habit. I'll grow out of it eventually, which can turn into emotional and mental unhealthiness. Not only can we embody and speak these lies in our internal narratives, but we can also speak these lies over others like the community did to my mother. If the lies take root in our hearts, they will bear fruit in our actions. These actions sometimes flesh out in huge ways in the immediate, but most of the time it's the little things that build up over time. Hundreds of dollars in credit card porn charges don't happen overnight. It's the buildup of the many. One more visit to that web page won't hurt. The tragic increase of suicidal ideation attempts and fulfillments don't happen overnight. It's tragic when it happens across generations. My heart breaks a little bit even more for the young people in our world. It continues to skyrocket exponentially. And I'm like, what the heck are we feeding them? But that doesn't happen overnight. It's the buildup of the many I am alone in this world. Workaholism doesn't happen overnight. It's the buildup of the many I need to perform to be valued. The specifics may be different for each of us in this room. As a matter of fact, they are. But what isn't different is the temptation to trust lies and believe them. That's the same. The enemy uses lies, deception, and partial truths against all of us. Often they are subtle and missable, but lies over time will always end in destruction. If Jesus is telling the truth about the devil here, then we don't want to live lives that are, live lives that are unaware of our enemy's schemes and tactics. We don't want to live outside of reality. So, how do we fight against these lies? I got some answers. Uh, you didn't seem excited about that. That's fine. That's fine. How do we not get taken out by the enemy's tactics? Well, our friend John Mark Comer, who has a pretty nice book, has something to say about this. Real quick, one-liner. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. It's like... No, duh. We fight lies with truth, right? Duh. It might seem like a duh moment, but I guarantee all of us in this room have failed at this at some point and believed a lie. And that's not the shame. I'm just saying. Something so easy and simple can be so missable at the same time. Practically speaking, though, 
We are being bombarded with lies every day. Some more obvious than others. But here are some ways that I think we could fight them with truth. One is we cling to our rabbi's teachings. It's what he said. We do this because that's what we do as his disciples. It's in clinging to his words that we will know the truth because he only speaks truth. And I feel like there's a, 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 a what's it called? Blanking out. Um, there's a vast amount of examples of his teachings in the Gospels. It's not like we got to think about like, oh, man, what did Jesus? He laid it out for us. Could you imagine? Real quick. I'm getting all excited. <laughs> sermon on the Mount is one of my favorite things in the world. This sermon changed my life. There's only three chapters. Let's just say we only obeyed three chapters out of the whole of the New Testament. We'd still be a radically different people than that of the larger world. We would still be a magnificent witness to the world that Jesus is who he says that he is. Just three chapters. Could you imagine if we had a, a worldview that valued those that he named in the Beatitudes? I've heard a bunch of stuff about, all right, let me not, let me stay on track. But I, I've heard a lot about, you know, these are like virtues to aspire to. No, it's like a reality that is. Those who are poor in spirit, like you're blessed in this kingdom. It's a different way to see things. Not that having money is bad. So what do we put this at? Anyways, okay, let me get back. Three chapters. What if we obeyed that? That's my whole point. We cling to his teachings. We discover truth in our relationship to him. So we read and meditate on the truths that Jesus and the apostles spoke in the scriptures, not only by yourself, but in community. We need each other to understand the story a lot better. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. We can help see the blind spots of one another. And together we will be a more holistic people. Okay. Number two, pray for God to illuminate the lies that you were believing. What if once a day you took five minutes to ask God to reveal any lies that you may believe in? How many hours are in a day? Okay, you went to school. Let's go. <laughs> 24, 24 hours. What if we just took five minutes? Say, God, I want you to reveal some stuff to me, please. And journal the lies that you feel yourself combating. And speak truth over those lies. If there's something that comes up that has a fear at its core, it's most likely a lie. Write down the identities that others have tried to place on you and that you yourself have tried to manufacture. Ask the Father to continue to reveal who he made you to be. Write down what you sense. There's something forming about actually physically writing something down. When we know him who is truth and listen to what he says, we are empowered to live as our true selves. The devil may claim you are a disappointment to God, but Jesus says you're the Father's beloved, and the evidence is in the fact that he sent me to this world. The devil may claim you are alone in this world, but Jesus says I am always with you, and I have sent my Holy Spirit as the evidence of that. The devil may claim if you expose your sin, they won't love you, and Jesus says I love you too much for your sin to hold you imprisoned any longer. I want you to be free. And lastly, but not least, number three, ask God to reveal the truth to you through others who know him as well. People have the capacity to speak lies over you out of their own hurt and wounding, but they also have the capacity to speak truth to you out of their own healing. Everybody in this room is on a journey. And I feel like we affect each other's paths. No matter how often we may connect. This is an invitation to trust. 
to trust others enough to let them in and to trust Jesus enough to speak through them. I don't know how communities work here. Y'all got basics? That happening today? I saw a sign. Yo, go to basics if you ain't in the community. We all need it. And I encourage you to ask those in your community to ask you hard questions, provide accountability, to be ears for you, to share the lies that you are fighting and or believing and allow them to beat them things up. I want my community to like jump. You ever heard of getting jumped? I want my lies to get jumped. I'm playing too much, okay. Beat them things into non-existence with truth and encouragement. That truth will sting sometimes and other times it won't. And then ask them to allow you to do the same. This is about reciprocity and mutuality. Now, I need you and you need me and we all need Jesus. In closing, I can testify to everything that I've been chit-chatting and rambling and yelling about up here personally. I'm a part of a group of guys that I have come to see as my brothers. There's nine of us in this crew. And one of our rhythms is that every month we have a monthly call on FaceTime. And we, we take time, it's about an hour and a half, where we confess our sin, we talk about what's stirring us up, what our sorrows are, and what our struggles are. And usually it works out every last Friday. And on the most recent call, I confess some lies that I've been believing for all of my years as a follower of Jesus and beyond. These lies were so embedded in my heart that they felt true. Before I shared my peace, I could hear the lie that my brothers won't love me if I brought this to the light. I could hear the lie that I was alone in this. I could also hear that I was a disappointment to God, that he regretted bringing me into his family. These are the thoughts that would come through my head every single month. So you know what I would do? We've been doing this for over a year now. Every time I'd be like, all right, let me just give you a little piece. Just a little something, something to protect myself and also to, you know, uh, uh, basically just to protect myself. And then one of these brothers said, yo, uh, I got a confession to make. He's like exposing himself before all of us and talking about his almost failure and the temptations that he's struggling with. And I'm going, man, I would be a major hypocrite if I don't say anything. And this brother's over here bearing his soul. And then another brother spoke to him and he said, you know, thank you for being open with us. I wonder if you would have felt safe enough and had the strength to share with us if you did the very thing that you didn't want to do. And that statement smacked me in the face. I felt like that was the Holy Spirit hitting me like, yo, go ahead, son. He's talking to somebody else, but I felt like he was talking to me. That was the truthful thought that I needed to combat the lies in my head and that I believed. And after that, I exposed myself to them and I just bawled, wept hard. I wanted to be free and I finally got to a place where I knew that living in the truth was the only way to get that. And I made... I'm, I'm, I'm a human being who's been created to be known by others and to know others, not to hide from them. I was terrified, but enough was enough, and I broke, and I had to fight through a bunch of voice cracks and tears to even get words out. And they sat there with me in my brokenness, and they spoke truths over me afterwards, like they didn't stop loving me. They loved me even more. They affirmed that I wasn't alone, 
They were the evidence that I'm not a disappointment to the Father. If they had the courage and, and the guts to actually be loving and gracious towards me, how much more did God the Father do in that moment? Anybody know Christian Dawson? He's a Passover at Bridgetown. This is what he's, he's in that group too, and this is what he said. He said, uh, I think you were also weeping because the power of the lie was broken. Like you felt truth. You felt freedom. Jesus caused that freedom in life. You felt reality. The battle between truth and lies is not a theory. It's a reality that I have chosen to live in myself. And I can stand up here today and not be fake or a fraud before you. And I can confidently say that I've tasted and seen what Jesus is talking about. To live in the truth is to experience freedom. And to experience freedom is to be in that which is life. His invitation also extends to you. If you desire this, there will be a time to respond in some form or fashion after you leave this place or whatever. Maybe it's the meditating on the scriptures and his teachings and trying to cling to those things. Maybe it's writing down some of the stuff that you feel like you need to come back and beat up on. And it's surely being embedded in a community of believers to hear more truth and to be transformed by it. It is my honor to be with y'all today. And I just want to pray. Is that cool? Thanks for letting me yell at y'all for a bit. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church/give.